Welcome to the Succession Stories podcast. I'm Lori Barkman. I work with business owners to maximize value, create options for the future, and be happy in your next. I'm excited to share the What's Next series as part of Succession Stories. These conversations spotlight the theme of transitions. Changes can come at you unexpectedly or be planned. Are you ready? After all, in business and life, succession is about transitions and how you embrace what's next matters. Subscribe to our newsletter for more resources to build value in your business and plan your transition. Visit small.big, that's small, D-O-T, big.com and sign up today. I love having authentic conversations with people about their transitions. This episode stands out to me for a few reasons. One, my guest, David Gamble, and I went to high school together, so it was great to reconnect and learn more about his story. Two, we talked about what comes next after you achieve your dream. David is a former NFL player who found his calling in business, inspiring teams off the field. Listen to learn more about how he reinvented himself. The key was knowing his why and being intentional about his next steps, including launching his own business. As David shared, defining what success looks like to you will help you leave a trail where there is no path. If you're thinking about a transition, I hope this episode provides inspiration to help you find your next. David Gamble, good morning. How are you today? I'm doing extraordinary, Lori. How about yourself? I am doing really well. I'm super excited to have you on Succession Stories today. And as we talked before the show, this is a sub-series that I've launched called What's Next? You and I have gone to high school together. Let's just tell everybody <laughs> straight up. Full disclosure. <laughs> disclosure, we go way back. And we hadn't seen each other in a lot of years. And what I found so wonderful and so amazing about going to our high school reunion, as Gen Xers, let's talk about it, right? As Gen mm-hmm. Xers, we had our 30th high school reunion about a year ago. And you and I hadn't seen each other since graduation, pretty much. And there was no social media, right? We didn't know where each other went in life. And there was a group of us who moved away from home and kind of lost touch. And and I think you and I were part of that mix. And the funny thing is, is you were in the NFL on a wonderful team in Denver, which I'm, of course, going to ask you about. (laughs) And at that time, I was going to Denver quite a bit. My husband's family lived in the Denver area for like 25 years. I didn't even know you were playing for this amazing team and having this amazing experience. And so anyway, flash forward, we caught up at Reunion and I learned not only about your incredible athletic career, which I want to learn more about, but also your career in corporate America. And I was so proud to see recently that you launched a new venture. So I want to talk about all of those things. And it's in the context of the What's Next series, because there's a lot of people out there who are dealing with change, whether it's change at work, whether it's change with their business. And I work with people on change, you know, transitions in their company. And I thought it would just be so wonderful to have you here today. So welcome. And please start by just telling the audience, because they don't know you like I do. What's your story? Where did you grow up? And tell us about your family. Well, yes, it's a fun story, I like to believe. The journey has just been awesome, but it does start from being born and raised in Albany, New York. You know, it's kind of cool. You kind of talk about where Gen X and kind of, you know, how our upbringing was. 
but I, I graduated at Colony Central High School in Albany, New York, and I'm the youngest of three boys. My two older brothers are my best friends. My mom still lives in the house that I grew up in. And what's really interesting as you talk about how we reconnected and how we have all these social media outlets to keep in contact with folks, to follow folks, we didn't have that growing up. But the one thing that has been constant in my life and kind of the, I call it the foundational, is the house that I grew up in, my mom still lives there, and we still have the same phone number. Like, there's only been one phone number in that house. If anybody ever just wanted to figure out how to get in contact with me, they could always call my mom's house, and she'll pick up, and she'll forward my, you know, my most recent cell phone number. So it's really cool that, you know, I could always go back home. My oldest brother still lives in the Albany area. Matter of fact, my middle brother is moving back to the Capital District in the next few months. So I, I do have roots, strong roots in the Albany area. I go back frequently. I bring my children there to, you know, see mom and, and see uncles and, and nephews and nieces and, you know, and really have them experience, you know, how I was raised and where I was growing up. And, you know, I bring them to the, the big park that I grew up in and, and they've gone to my high school and things of that nature. So I really feel like I had a great upbringing. There's nothing like growing up in New York. I mean, it's just from the cultural standpoint, from the real foundation of work ethic and, and, and family values. I just had a great, great upbringing. And it, you know, it panned out as after I graduated from high school, I, you know, got a full scholarship. As you mentioned, I, I was a three-sport athlete in, in, in high school, and uh, I was blessed to go on and get a full scholarship to play at the University of New Hampshire, where I did star for four years and become a academic and athletic All-American there and have the privilege and honor to pursue my goal. And I think this is where the whole beginning of reinventing yourself, before you reinvent yourself, you have to know who you are. Yeah. And you were an amazing athlete in high school. And I'm not surprised to hear about the success you had in college and after. Did you have any doubts that you'd make it to the NFL? Did you just have that as a goal all the way through high school and just growing up? When did you decide that you were going to go for it? You know what? I, I talk about this a lot, Lori, because um, there's a difference between a goal and a dream. So I had a dream. Like my dream was just to play one down in the NFL. That was it. That was, you know, from the first time I've ever carried the ball in, in youth contact football to high school when next thing you know, I might be on the paper of the Times Union. And then getting, you know, a lot of serious accolades in college. It, it never changed. Like it was, you know, I wanted to prove to myself it was that dream to play in the NFL. So the same desire that I had at seven, I had at 17. The same desire, once I was able to get a little bit closer and I saw, you know, the reality of it, it really didn't change. My motivation didn't change. I was inspired by the same thing. I would talk to the same circle of friends. And so that never changed, even though I got closer and it actually became a reality. What was your experience on the Broncos? I know you were on some other teams and I want to sort of focus on that because it was your last team and there was such a great experience that you had in a very short period of time that I'd love for you to share your story about that. Yeah. So just being on a team, you know, I, I call it transferable skills. So Yes, I was able to play pro ball and professional football, the NFL, it is a business, right? So these teams are run like a business. You have employees, you have managers, you have CEOs, you have the C-suite, you have all these different 
entities that are exactly the same as corporate America. So that experience in Denver was absolutely phenomenal. It really taught me not only more about myself, but literally when I got done with football, what type of environment I wanted to work in. You know, my coach, Mike Shanahan, who was the head coach at the time, he was just a phenomenal mastermind. You know, he literally treated me, which I was the 53rd man on a 53-man roster, the same way he treated John Elway, who's going to be a first-time on your Hall of Fame, you know, ballot. We got treated the same, and it and it goes, and you can see that team, that camaraderie, that respect that we had for one another, that accountability. It was just phenomenal. We played for each other. You know, we had a, a set goal, and it was we were going to do it for each other. And when you have that type of energy, when you have that type of synergy, amazing things could happen. We were not picked, you know, to, to win the Super Bowl that year. We weren't even picked to win our division that year. It was, we, were, we got in as a wild card. So it was really a great attribute to the coaching staff, to the leadership, and to the players to say, hey, you know what? We know what it takes, and we are going to go forward. And that experience, I just being around, those guys during that, it, it transformed even my philosophy after ball. And, and when we were going through that playoff run, it was, it was surreal, Lori. It was surreal. It was like we won the first playoff game. All of our games were on the road. So, I mean, our uphill battle just to get to the Super Bowl was, you know, we we're not the odds on paper. Right. And it was, you know, we went, we went to Kansas City, and we beat Kansas City in Kansas City. And that, you know, they're, they're in our division, and we don't like them. They don't like us. And we beat them. And I just remember calling my brother like, man, we, I think we got something going, man. I think we got it. So the next game, it's a divisional, the divisional series against Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh. And they were actually favored to go to the Super Bowl that year. Which is, of course, where I live. <laughs> right, right. That's right. And you know the fans in Pittsburgh, right? Oh, it's, yeah. They eat, sleep, breed. I mean, it's, it's serious. And, and they have a tradition, right? They have a tradition of success. They have a tradition of, of winning those type of games. And we go into Pittsburgh and we beat Pittsburgh. And I just remember looking and my brother, my family came down and I remember looking at them as like, you know, it, it was like one of those shrugs, like, I guess we're going, right? <laughs> and, and, and we're going to the Super Bowl and that whole experience, just going there, it was the, it was the last time the NFL would have two weeks, a team would go there two weeks prior to the Super Bowl. So you really get to enjoy it, you get to absorb it. You get to, you know, really, you know, bring your family. They get to spend a week and a half there, you know, uh, you know, all. Yes. And I was able to bring it all back together, meaning that dream as a seven-year-old kid saying, hey, I just want to play one down in the NFL. And knowing that my family was there, they never missed a high school game. My brother never missed a college game. Wow. And to have them all there and spend this time in San Diego for the Super Bowl was, it was surreal, right? So, you know, this is 2020 and a lot has happened. But one of the one of the tragic things that happened of this year was the death of Kobe Bryant. And the reason why it was so fitting for me and so touching for me, because during the Super Bowl game, my mom and my brothers were sitting next to a rookie Kobe Bryant. Oh, wow. Right. So he's this is before he's the mom of before he's won anything. He's yeah. literally sitting in the stands. That's that's how low profile. Kobe Bryant was, yeah. and he high-fived my brother during the game. <laughs> you know, it was that type of experience. It was yeah. just a family env environment. The team was a family environment, and you know what? Lo and behold, 
you know, we, we win the Super Bowl. It's an epic Super Bowl. They talk about it still even today. And playing along the likes of, you know, John Elway, uh, uh, Ed McCaffrey. I mean, we saw, we, we love his son now, Christian McCaffrey, but I got a chance to play with Ed McCaffrey and, and, and Terrell Davis and a lot of these Hall of Famers. You know, and, and by the way, most of them, we still keep in contact some way, somehow. That's awesome. So having that type of real true brotherhood and me able to just, you know, like I said, I could sit there and just raise my hand and say, I was a part of it, right? And that was just something you just can't explain. You, you don't you don't put a quarter in the, in, in the jukebox and say, hey, when I grow up, I want to be a Super Bowl champion. It, it doesn't happen that way. Yeah. But fortunately for me, it was a little bit of luck and a lot of prayer, and um, I was able to experience it. And family is such an important part of you and who you are. And that's why I wanted you to talk about family when we opened the show, because I, I think it's important to your personal DNA and who you are. And you carried that through with your experience on the team. All great athletes' careers come to an end, right? It's just the way life goes. And so your career in the NFL ended. And I wanted you to talk about that. You know, how did you figure out what was next? How did you make that transition from the NFL to corporate America? And by the way, you and I have, the answer is human resource management. And and you and I have that in common. My undergraduate degree was in HR. And so as I learned about your amazing career, I think probably through LinkedIn, we got connected over time and saw that you were in HR. I thought that's a really interesting coincidence. So I certainly understand where the role comes from. I always called it the psychology of business. I found it really valuable as I grew in my career in management to go back to some of those fundamentals. You're a great student. You're, I'm sure you're a great student, you know, you're in high school and on college. So did you leverage all of those things to kind of map out the what's next for you when you decided to leave the NFL? No, I didn't, Laurie, to, to be honest with you. I actually went to school. Um, I had a dual major in business and criminal justice. So if football never worked out, I wanted to go into law enforcement. Right. That's kind of what my direction, my passion was. So HR was not in, you know, the realm of things for that matter. But again, I was I was blessed to play six years. And, you know, the one ironic thing about my six years of playing, I played in the Canadian Football League as well as the NFL. And there were times and experiences where I knew the air in football was going to run out. I didn't know when, but I knew it was going to run out. So I would start to project, what do I want to be when I grow up? You know, I'm, I'm 25 years old and I'm still saying that question. What do I want to be when I grow up? At that time, the law enforcement avenue, it was, it was shrinking for me. But then, but knowing that I was going to, you know, have to retire soon was growing for me. So what ended up happening was I said, well, maybe I could use more just my business degree to help me transition. So that's kind of what I would think about after each season. Like, okay. You know, I think I was 25. I was, you know, I was playing in the Canadian Football League and I made a decision that I wanted to try to go back into the NFL. Right. And if I didn't make it to the NFL because there's some other leagues popping up, uh, USFL, there was a, a Europe League and, you know, the WWE had a football, all these crazy leagues right, were coming right. out. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not doing any of that. I was like, if I don't make it back in the NFL, then I'm going to be a civilian and I'm going to ride with that. And so I, I did. I had a contingent plan, you know. Um, I'm, I, even though I said I was going to make, you know, this, the Denver Broncos was '96. I was like, if I, if not, then I was going to pursue a, you know, something around my business degree. Um, 
So, you know, God willing, I was able to extend my, my career and, and play NFL. And again, highlighted by the Super Bowl championship, Denver Broncos. But in doing so, it forced me to make sure I networked, right? So now I started planting seeds, right? So during the off season, making sure I was going to, you know, networking events, whether they're golf outings, whether they were, you know, just throwing those things of saying, hey, what does it look like, you know, for somebody, you know, who doesn't have now work experience, right? So I'm six years, yes, I'm living my dreams, but I'm also losing six years of work experience that I'm going to have to be competing for a job with somebody who's, you know, graduated with me at the same pedigree as myself, but they have now six years of work experience. Right. And that's kind of where my, my, my transition of my mindset was. If I, if I don't have the work experience, I can't have the relationship. I can start building the networking and my contact list. And that's what I ended up doing. It's very smart. Yeah, you're ambitious. You're ambitious in a lot of ways. So that sounds like it wasn't easy, but you were thoughtful about it. And you eventually got into the restaurant industry. I mean, the hospitality industry. And I know there was grocery, and but I want to fast forward a little bit to your most recent experience. You were with Cracker Barrel for about over four years. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So I was hoping that you could talk about your experience with Cracker Barrel, just to give an, just to give a flavor of what you did from a corporate HR standpoint. And like you mentioned, 2020 has just been a crazy, crazy year. And certainly for the hospitality industry, it's been tumultuous with restaurants getting closed and reopened. And you were on the very, very front line of that this summer with Cracker Barrel and had to do some difficult things that needed to be done with the, with the chain. And that was your job. And uh, I just would like you to talk a little bit about that with your role kind of before the pandemic and you know what energized you about that. And then also what that transition was for you through the pandemic and then your decision to leave Cracker Barrel. Yeah, so I'll just quickly just talk about my my role, you know, for Cracker Barrel at the time was the director of field HR. So when you think about Cracker Barrel, there's over 800 store locations across the United States. Well, I was the one. I had a a a colleague. uh, There was two of us who would literally have to go and support those 800 plus stores. What do I mean by that, Lori? I would go to the store, I'd visit the store, and I would be their HR manager for that particular store. If they needed staffing, I would help them devise a staffing plan. If they were losing um, employees, um, I would help them create a retention plan. I would have, um, you know, I'd have to do investigations if there was any sexual harassment, just all the functions of an HR, you know, kind of a, in a suitcase, traveling suitcase, and I would visit these stores. And I would work with leadership, um, whether it was the district manager or vice president or even a store leadership team to help drive the culture. So the things about HR, what I always you know, like to talk about is, you know, HR is in my mind driven by two different things, either trying to be compliance driven or driving a culture. And when you have some systems in place, you know, I, I could not worry about the compliance piece and I would go to a store and really talk about the culture. And when you talk about the culture, it's the human and human resources. It's talking about people development. It's, a, it's all talking about people placement. It's talking about people engagement. And how can those three aspects deliver a great experience for our, our customers? And that's what I would be doing um, for the last three years. It was awesome. 
Um, I was able, able to go to different regions of the United States and not only take the food outside of Cracker Barrel, but really understand what makes them be complete. Because in, in essence, you know, and what I love about my job and about the field that we work in is how can you make somebody feel complete about who they are and what they do, right? How can I bring all of myself? We talked about my family earlier. There's nothing better than having an employee, no matter what walk of life, and have them come to work and knowing that they're bringing everything they, they believe in, they have in, and, and have the most pride in their work and delivering an experience, not, al- not only for their colleague, but for the customer as well. And that would be my job. I would help perpetuate that type of behavior um, each and every day. Mm-hmm. So our guests could feel like, oh, my God, this server, you know, you know, I, I found out that her grandmother knows, you know, and next thing you know, they leave with an experience that makes them come back over and over again. And that's what I did for Cracker Barrel. As you kind of mentioned, we are in 2020 and we've experienced an unprecedented time of this pandemic and in the restaurant hospitality business. Um, I don't think there's another industry that has been hit worse, um, but it, you know, in the restaurant business, it, it has. And for Cracker Barrel was, you know, amongst the top of that list um, of how do we look at our business differently? First of all, it was more survival mode because, you know, when you're trying to make decisions of the unknown, you're going to make, you know, unfortunately, you're going to have to uh, make tough decisions. And that's what Cracker Barrel had to do. So. Um, I was part of those conversations. Um, you know, what about our people? You know, whether we try to hold on and hang on and hopefully that we find a cure or things change immediately, um, or it's that same conversation, what about the last two or three years? You know, do we have to close down stores? Do we have to, you know, put barricades within the stores? We didn't know because we were going with information, um, unknown information. So we made the decision um, back in March to reduce our workforce of uh, 40%. And um, I was one of those folks who had to go around the, the country. And, and, and as you know, the, you know, HR, I, I always say this, I joke around saying, I've never fired an employee. Um, they fire themselves and unfortunately I would have to deliver the bad news, right? right. <laughs> and that, that's, that's, my, that's my saving grace. Right. But in this, in this instance, um, letting people go um, for no fault or no reason of their own is the toughest conversation that you could possibly have. Yeah. Knowing that this job is, you know, supporting their family, putting food on the table, putting a roof over their head, and then and us saying to them, we no longer can need your services. We think you're great. You did an awesome job. Thank you for the 10 plus years. Right. But we're going to have to let you go because we can't afford you or, or it's just the way things go. I mean, we try to make it, you know, soft as we possibly can. But at the end of the day, it, we, we no longer can, we need your services. And unfortunately, I had to do that. I had to do that amongst, you know, across the nation. It was very, very difficult. Anybody in HR who ever had to do furloughs or, or, or layoffs, it is the hardest thing to do. And, um, and, and I had to do that. Uh, afterwards, as we restructured, you know, you know, it's funny, you, you find yourself on the other side of the table, right? And I mean, you could see it, you could say, well, okay, they're going to cut travel, they're going to reduce this, they're eliminating this department, they're going to take a little people from that department. And you start to say, and, and change management, what about me? Yeah. What are they going to do with me? And as they started making decisions, um, I made a decision for myself. And I think this is kind of the makeup of, 
all the things I've always done, I've tried to, you know, kind of, you don't have to tell me, you know, I'm going to tell you type of thing. And um, it was a great decision and a great conversation with both of us that uh, for me, even though there was some opportunity, I chose to leave. And um, and I have nothing but respect and, and, and admiration for the whole entire organization. But it was in my best interest to um, venture off and um, not only reinvent myself, but but as you reinvent yourself and take different directions or different paths in your journey, taking those experiences with you and understanding what is best for you. And and as I kind of told you that example of me going into a store right. and trying to do an assessment and meeting the people, I honestly said, huh, what about if I just do that on my own? Right. Go to a business, go to a company, say hello, introduce myself, ask them what problems they may have, how can I possibly help them, provide you know, resources, a strategy, maybe a plan, and I can do it all by myself, right? I can do it on my own. And that's what launched my next venture. Which is really a buildup of so many things that you had been learning in your career from being on a team, what that meant, being a leader on a team, being so influenced by your family, bringing that culture of, of teamwork and family into the workplace and tying it all together in a field that you know we call human resources, but it's about people. And, and it's clear that that's really at the heart of who you are, David. And I'm just so pleased about that because I think it's a great example for people that are dealing with change. I know, and you know, and the audience listeners probably know too, a lot of people who have been affected by this pandemic where they might've been furloughed and now they're thinking about their next and what are they going to do? And they have skills, right? We, we at this kind of our second chapter of our career, there's a lot of us out there. I don't know if you've seen the numbers from the government that are being published every week and on a, certainly on a monthly basis about small business ownership and the number of new businesses being opened this year versus last year is up like 25% or more. It's, it's an incredibly high number. And, and we tend to think that, oh, new businesses, those are going to be, you know, tech startups and all of that. Well, the majority of these, of these new businesses, I think, are not. And it's the solopreneur, it's the person who's going to leverage their skill set in a different way and creating value, which is, again, I think a reason I wanted to, to spotlight what you're doing. Also, because I believe, and it's been my experience as a CEO and as a practitioner of, you know, trying to develop teams, because there's a value there. And, and you hit on it earlier with culture, that culture and being really process focused in terms of your people creates value for a company. And you saw it in your career in other companies, you know, these Fortune 500 companies. You're also now seeing it with your business, which is called DG Consulting. And tell me about that. What was the inspiration to create DG Consulting? What does that stand for? And how do you help deliver value? through better HR processes and culture to small businesses? Yeah, Lori, you know what's interesting is I did not set forth in the beginning to say that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and open up my own business. That, that was not in the, that was not in the cards. I mean, I was, I was not, I didn't have an entrepreneurial spirit. I loved working in big companies. I felt comfortable. Um, so it, it's ironic that, you know, you know, I am a statistic of what you just described that, you know what, I can be, you know, it can be more purposeful 
and to be intentional about opening up, you know, your own businesses. And, and it, it felt, it, it felt better for me to do so. Right. So, um, you know, when I went through that, that transition of, okay, what do I want to do next? Again, asking myself, what do I want to be when I grow up? Um, and, and when you start to um, look at your skill sets, right? When you kind of do like a resume review on yourself, like, okay, I've worked here for five years. I worked there for 10 years. I did a little bit of this. I was on this, you know, I had this, these many people working for me. I was, you know, on this bottom of the ladder. And you start to calculate what is your best move. So I would say, you know, if anyone is in that transition, it all begins with your why. Define your why. What is your purpose? What, what, what do you want to do? And, and when I really looked at it, I said, I want to inspire people. That's what it, matter of fact, it was, I wanted, I wanted to inspire. You know, um, I've always been, you know, when I looked at my career, um, my athletic career, you know, I was always the captain, you know, I think I might've been the first person picked in gym class. And I was, you know, either, either I was picking the people or I was telling for pick that person, oh, pick that person. you know, so I was always in a position of either influence or authority. And I, and, and I took a lot of pride in it, right? It, it, for me, it was a, it was a, honor to be the captain of a football team. It was a a privilege to be a director of a department or a manager of a team. And and I I took it seriously. So as I got into now, again, I'm not saying the back half of my nine, right? (laughs) I still got a little something, right? But when I really looked at it, I said, what is the common denominator? What is, what drives me? And what drives me is to inspire, whether it's people, processes, thing and that's where that is the foundation of um my next decision as well as the fabric of my company it's we want to inspire people whether that's a leader to do the right thing or to change a policy or to now think about their people first to help them you know create processes um whether it's from a compliance perspective or from a culture perspective we wanted to inspire greatness. I want, you know, there's nothing better. And again, and, and I go back to the Bronco days. You know, I had a, a phenomenal high school and college career, right? I mean, I had some great accolades, um, but there's nothing like being a part of a team that everybody has the same accolades that you had, and even more, right? right? Like competition, it was what we call friendly competition. You want to be around the best. You want to. They make you better, right? You make you better. There's no different when you're in, in you're working in an office or you're working in an executive team or you're working in a company that people are there. You're getting in people with talent, diversity, like diversity of thought, diversity of presence. And next thing you know, you're like, oh my God, I'm, just, I'm going to work and I'm enthusiastic. I'm inspired. Like I, you know, I, I need to say, I need to be on my A game, right? <laughs> so I, I wanted to create that. I wanted to allow, help people get to their A game, get on that, what I say, get a championship mindset. And I wanted to, and that inspired me to create my own business, which is called DG Coaching and Consulting. So part of the coaching is, you know, for me, for you as a business owner or a, or a company to allow a consultant agency, a firm to come into your organization, we ain't going to tell you what to do. We're going to help coach you. 
And just like in sports, you don't see the coach, you know, he didn't play one down. He's not, he's not throwing a touchdown last night. You know, the coach doesn't do that. The players do. Right. If, if you allow, as, as a business owner, um, we want to come into your organization and coach you on things that either it's best practices, whether it's foundational um, uh, infrastructures, or if it's enhancing to take your organization to the next level. That's where the coaching came from. And the consulting piece is, again, we leave with recommendations, we leave with plans, we leave with processes to better help you as a, as a leader to discover greatness. And um, I always say if, if, if great consulting firms, we work ourselves out of a job. We, we, we tell you, you know, we assess, we give recommendations, you start to deliver and you're like, well, I don't need DG coaching and consulting, and you eventually fire us. That lets me know we do a great job. That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of awesome things in what you just shared there with having a championship mindset and yeah, and kind of answering the question, what, what is the difference between coaching and consulting? And now with the pandemic, what does this mean? I know, I know you work with clients all over the country. So what does virtual training and, and coaching look like now? And how do you make it authentic? I mean, you and I are talking over Zoom right now and it feels great. It's all awesome to see you. But we're not in person, right? And so if you're trying to coach up and you're trying to help make organizations better, are we all Zoomed out? Like, how, how is this going to work virtually? Well, you know, it's funny. I was just in the summit yesterday, and a lot of that discussion was being talked about. Um, and, and again, maybe that's the next, um, you know, Amazon. Maybe that's the next Facebook. Maybe that's the next whoever develops that 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 it where you could, again, bring the human back into human resources or the culture back into technology. So it, it, is, a, it is an opportunity for everybody to, um, to take advantage of, yes, we may not, we are working remotely and we're protecting our, ourselves and our families. However, there is a lost art. There, there's, there's something lost of getting five executives in a meet in a room talking about, uh, you know, a problem or, or forecasting a plan, um, they're, they're, you're, you're missing some element. You're missing some of that energy and that vibe and that um, those that like to work with others, you're missing that element. Um, so for us, we challenge with um, making sure um, we, we, we hit, I call three different points of contact. And it's not only verbally, but how are you doing it verbally? You know, is it, you know, through text? Is it through written communication? And is it through, um, you know, phone or Zoom communication? And you have to, you don't have to do it, but you have to do it well. You really have to do it well. You have to know when it's, when you're Zoomed out, right? And you need to revert back to, you know, let, you know, now it becomes an email or now it just becomes a phone call because you know what? I want to talk to you, but I don't want to see you, right? Because right. you know what? My, my, my dog's barking in the background and <laughs> my kids. You know, so I need to continue it, but you know what, what's, what's best suited for you and, um, or, or for the party. So it, it, it becomes really, again, still building relationships and building working relationships that best fit, you know, the, the parties. Um, so for us, we, we have opened up some travel and, and meeting some of the clients and, and now it becomes, let's do that strategically, right? So maybe now we only meet once a quarter, maybe once a month. Um, just to get that human touch and, and maybe I need to go visit the office, you know, as you're telling me, it's just, it's, it's dead, Dave, or, 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 you know, people are not as liable. I'm going to have to visit that and see that and smell that. 
um, for me to get my own impression. So yes, it has to be a strategic type of visit. Um, it's not every day. Uh, we're not talking every day. However, I think creating a communication role or plan with that client helps them and helps me either discover or uncover um, opportunities, but at least just fits the needs of, of those clients. And I think everybody's gonna have to do that. You're gonna have to be creative. Um, you can't do the same things expecting you know, you know, different results. You're gonna have to do things differently. Right. I had an experience recently with a client where they wanted to do strategic planning, which is normally so effective in person, but I offered to do it remote. I said, you know, why not give it a try? They said, no, we haven't seen each other for months. This is a reason. This was a compelling reason to be face to face. And this was a really small team, but they, you know, they were a little bit zoomed out and we did a social distance strategic planning session and it was awesome, you know, to have a lunch break. We went outside and, and there were moments of that, you know, just feeling really connected on, on what we were doing together for them and, you know, kind of putting together this three year, three year view of their business. A, they'd never done it before, and B, the timing just felt right for them because they needed to come back together. They needed that, like as you said, this kind of different point of communication. And because the topic was so, you know, it was strategy, right? It was it was important to, to really be connecting. And so I think we'll see some of that too, where, yeah, it's almost like perhaps a special event that brings teams together, but it is smart to have an overall approach. And it's also, I think, a good thing for leaders to be checking in with their people. Like, how are you, how are you doing? And there, there's just so much happened in 2020. This is a year we're already ready to get rid of, uh, you know, and move on to 2021. We could go on and on about all the things that have kind of not worked well in 2020. And I don't, I don't want to necessarily do that. My point is, is that I think as individuals and being authentic leaders, we do need a way to really check in with people and say, how are you? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that it's, it's almost a lost art because, A, we never had to do that, right? So it's, it's now coaching those leaders saying, okay, before we want to get into business first, check in on them personally, right? right? You know, see how homeschooling is. Yeah. You know, you, you, if you want to bring all of them to work, we'll check on all of their important responsibilities. And I think, you know, it, it's, it comes easy to, I think, folks who put um, people before things, right? But a lot of corporations put things before people because, you know what, we need the product, we need, the, you know, on and on, all the things that need to come first. But when you really put people first and you lead people and you manage processes, then getting to know your people and understanding that they're in a good place to deliver absolutely everything that their, their job requirements ask them for that's when you're going to get the most out of people. And then sometimes right now, those leaders who have made it because they were the drivers, they were the micromanagers, um, they're going to struggle getting the most out of their people. And, you know, folks like you, myself, they're out there just saying, hey, you're still great. You're still great at what you do. But let's check, let's check in your people first. Yeah, yeah, for make sure. Make sure they're okay. Yeah. So let's just wind down here with some quick hit questions. The first one for you is if you could go back in time and give yourself advice at any point in your career, what would you say? <laughs> oh, I would say go for it. Just go for it and, you know, trust your, I always say this, trust your dopeness. You know, trust your dopeness. Trust your dopeness. <laughs> you're dope, you're good, you're great. And, and don't allow your fears to not allow you to live your dreams. 
I like that. If you could share, do you have any strange daily habits? <laughs> um, I'm an early bird, so I get up around 4.35 every morning. And um, I, have, I have a dog, so we walk my dog. I have a Rottweiler. And, um, you know, everybody has this fear and things about a Rottweiler. And he's a, he's a, a puppy, right? He's a softy. But if you look at him, he looks scary. So I like to walk him without a leash. So for me to walk him without a leash, I have to walk him kind of in the middle of the night so I don't hear neighbors <laughs> complain. And um, the only weird thing I, you know, so we go, we do our routine. We walk about four to five miles every morning. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we get it in. And we get done. He's, he's tired. I'm tired. And I, I think the only thing that's just truly weird is when I get dressed after, you know, I work out and do my, my routine is I, I coordinate my, um, my wardrobe with my socks. <laughs> I'm a sock guy. My sock game is on point, Lori. I, I go anywhere to buy socks. Um, nice, funky socks. They create my mood. They create my dress. So if you ever see me in person, you, you check my sock game. It is awesome. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Do you have any favorite sayings or mantras, whether it's about entrepreneurship or anything else? Yes, it's by um, one of my favorite motivational speakers, Les Brown. And um, I was able to read this book. Um, I think it was his first book back in 1994. And it goes, don't go where the path may lead, but go where there is no path and leave a trail. And, you know, when you talk about success, for me, um, another piece of not only knowing what your why is, but you also need to, to personally define what success looks like for you. Because success for you may not be for me. You know, somebody may be driven by money, you know, fame, you know, notoriety, whatever the case may be. And for me, when I define success as leaving a legacy, you know, there's nothing I'm more proud of than being in the Hall of Fame of our high school, being in the Hall of Fame of uh, my college. You know, so here are the footsteps that my sons could always have. So. When I think about that, that that mantra of leaving a trail, it is leaving a legacy. It is, you know, having something that, you know, folks, you know, my family could say, hey, that was my son, my brother, my dad, my uncle. And you know what? That lives forever. So, yeah, it does live forever. That's a great that's a great quote. I'm sure there's going to be people that want to connect with you. What's the best way for folks to find you online, David? You can reach me on my website. Here's my company website first, and then I'll give you my email address. It's www.dgcoachingand, and is one word, consulting.com, or you can reach me at dgamble at dgcoaching.com. And I'll put that in the show link so people have it too. David, thank you so much. I feel like we had our own reunion here. I know. <laughs> and uh, thanks for not sharing any stories about me from high school. <laughs> okay. You're welcome. <laughs> Actually, for the listeners, because I, I am trying to be more authentic. Um, this is a video. For those of you that normally listen to on audio, this video will be on you on the YouTube channel for Succession Stories. So, yeah, somebody that knew me way back when, what might be one thing that you would want to share with the audience about me that they might be surprised to know? Um, Lori, well, you were so... I just remember, like, we, we had the senior hall, right? We had the senior type of cafeteria that only the seniors could go into. Um, if you didn't have a, a class, you could go there. And, you know, this is the one thing I've always admired about you. I think I told you about this in, uh, in our reunion. Um, 
you always uphold yourself. Like we would sit there and I'd be around, or, or we had uh, the same group of friends, kind of, you know, at Jeff Chiliani's of the world. And, and you'd always be studying. You always had books. Like you always challenge yourself. Um, and, and you, you just role model the behavior. Um, and I, and I think I told you, it was, it was like, you demanded a respect because of what you did. You, you, what I always said, role model the behavior. And to me, people who are successful, people who are doing the right things, it's because they're doing the right things, right? They, they created a habit of behaviors. And, you know, I can't tell you, I always had a book in my hand, you know, but I, I always just reminisce and I remember those times. And again, we'd be sitting in these tables and it would be a time that I would always see like, I can't be like her, right? You know, <laughs> and, and not only were you, you, you're studious, um, but you're fun. You knew how to have the balance of, you talk about authenticity. You were authentic then, you're authentic now. And again, it begins with your behaviors, begins with who you are, begins with your why. And I bet you it also has to deal with your definition of success. And um, it's, 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 there's, no, there's no secret. There's no secret. Um, you just, the way you carried yourself, it was very respectful. It was, it was just awesome. Like, you know what I mean? It was like, oh, I'm friends with Lori. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was awesome. Yeah. Well, it's so great to have you on the show today, David, and have this conversation. And I look forward to staying in touch. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. Innovation, transition, growth. Easy to say, but hard to do. If you're an entrepreneur facing these challenges, I get it. I work with businesses from small to big to achieve your vision. Visit smalldotbig.com to learn more. I'd love to connect with you. Subscribe to Succession Stories. And if you enjoy the show, please share a rating and review. Thanks for listening.